Hare Krishna. So, uh, thank you all for coming. Today, well, let's just jump in. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So uh, this is one ten nineteen Partha Praja Avita Sakshad Ikshvakur Eva Manava Brahmanyat Satya Sandhasya Ramo Dasarati Yatha. So let me just get it here. So, okay. oh, Brahmana Uchuhu Partha Prajavita Sakshad Partha Prajavita Sakshad Shakudiva Partha Prajavita Sakshad so ladies So, Prabhupada's translation, the learned, the learned Brahman has said, O son of Pritha, this child shall be exactly like King Ikshwaku, son of Manu, in maintaining all those who are born, the Prajas. And as that's because the word Praja, uh, Ja means born. And as for following the, the Brahminical principles, especially in being true to his promise, he shall be exactly like Rama, the personality of Godhead, the son of Maharaja Dasharatha. So Prabhupada's purport, and I've been asked just to read part of this very long purport. Praja means the living being who has taken his birth in the material world. Actually, the living being has no birth and no death, but because of his separation from the Lord's service and due to his desire to lord it over material nature, he has offered a suitable body to satisfy his material desires. In doing so, one becomes conditioned by the laws of material nature and the material body is changed in terms of his own work. Prabhupada emphasized that. The living entity thus transmigrates from one body to another in 8,400,000 species of life. But due to his being 
the Lord's part and parcel, he is not only maintained with all necessities of life, but by the Lord, uh, maintained by the Lord, but is also protected by the Lord and his representatives, the saintly kings. These saintly kings give protection to all the prajas or living beings to live and fulfill their terms of imprisonment. Maharaj Parikshit was actually an ideal saintly king because while touring his kingdom, he happened to see that a poor cow was about to be killed by the personified Kali whom he at once took to task as a murderer. This means that even the animals were given protection by the saintly administrators, not from any sentimental point of view, but because those who have taken their birth in the material world have the right to live. All the saintly kings, beginning from the king of the sun globe down to the king of earth, are so inclined by the influence of Vedic literatures. The Vedic literatures are taught in higher planets also as there is reference in the Bhagavad Gita, Imangri Basmate Yogam, and so on, about the teachings to the sun god Vivasan by the Lord and such lessons are transferred by disciplic succession as it was done by the sun god to his son Manu and from Manu to Maharaja Ikshwaku. There are 14 Manus in one day of Brahma, and the Manu referred to herein is the seventh Manu, who is one of the Prajapatis, those who create progeny. In fact, the word progeny obviously is related to the Sanskrit Praja. And he is the son of the sun god. He is known as the Vaibhaswata Manu. Vaibhaswata means son of Vibhaswan. He had 10 sons, and Maharaj Ikshwaku is one of them. Maharaj Ikshwaku also learned Bhakti Yoga as taught in Bhagavad Gita from his father Manu, who got it from uh, his father, the sun god. Later on, the teaching of the Bhagavad Gita came down by disciplic succession from Maharaj Ikshwaku. But in course of time, the chain was broken by unscrupulous persons, and therefore it again had to be taught to Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. So all the Vedic literatures are current from the very beginning of creation of the material world, and thus the Vedic literatures are known as apaurusheya, not made by man. The Vedic knowledge was, un, was spoken by the Lord and first heard by Brahma, the first created living being within the universe. So I will stop. Oh, no. I'm supposed to go on until the end of the, the part about Manu. Maharaji Kshwaku, one of the sons of Vaivasata Manu, he had 100 sons. He prohibited meat eating. His son, Shashada, became the next king after his death. So is Mukhi here? No. No. So I'm supposed to go up to Manu or including Manu. Anyone? Anyway. Let's see how I forgot. What is up to? Anyway, it's short. I'll read it. The Manu mentioned in this verse as the father of Ichwaku is the seventh Manu of the name Vaibhasvatamanu, the son of the sun god Vivaswan, to whom Lord Krishna instructed the teachings of Bhagavad Gita prior to his teaching them to Arjuna. Mankind descends from Manu. This Vaibhasvatamanu had ten sons named Ikshvaku, Nabhaga, Drishta, Saryati, Narishanta, Navhaga, Dishta, Karusha, Prashadra, and Basuman. The Lord's incarnation, Matsya, the gigantic fish, invented himself during the beginning of Vaivasatta Manu's reign. Vaivasatta Manu learned the principles of Bhagavad Gita from his father, Vivasan, the sun god, and he re-instructed the same to his son, Maharaj Ikshwaku. In the beginning of Treta Yuga, the sun god instructed devotional service to Manu, and Manu in his turn instructed it to Ikshwaku for the welfare of the whole human society. So, uh, I actually want to give some context. I want to uh, explain a little bit what's going on here in terms of this particular verse. Because um, So I'm actually going to very briefly go back to, the, to verse 10 and then just come back up 17, 19. And I will speak on verse 19, so I'm not uh, hijacking the class for another verse, but... Uh, I wanted to give the context, which I think is very important. So in verse uh, 10, of the, uh, 
where Krishna saves Pariksit in the womb. I just wanted to mention very briefly the point that the last line of 112.10 is Pariyaikshita Kaitya So, that Pariksit saw the Lord come into the womb and the word he observed him. He was watching him as Pariyaikshita. And if you know Sanskrit, that's where the word Pariksit comes from. Pari means around or completely, like perimeter in English. And so... Um, Pari each means to look all around, like to observe, to investigate. And that's the verb here, Pariyakshita. And so Parikshit, his name actually is from this from this word, Pariyakshita. I thought that was worth mentioning. So Parikshit was always looking for Krishna. And then in the next verse, uh, Krishna, of course, comes and... Uh, and saves the child. Um, excuse me, just one second. I just want to. Uh, nope, that's not what I wanted. Anyway, Krishna comes and saves the child, and uh, and then disappears. So then, in verse twelve, uh, it said that uh, that this child will be so to speak, the reappearance of Pandu. He's not literally Pandu, but uh, so, so for the next several verses, the sages are trying to assure Yudhisthira that this, you got a really good grandson. That, you know, it's not because as, you, as we know, when we have children, we don't really know what we're going to get. And uh, we see even sometimes very good parents uh, can have a child who is not quite up to the parent's standards, and sometimes the child is. So there's there's always this anxiety when you have a child. What are you going to get? I mean, what soul is coming into your family? So, um, so what I noted in this verse one twelve eleven is that again it is said nishatoha, which the child is watching. So what's emphasized here in verse ten and eleven is Parikshit's fascination with Krishna. That, that's how he got his name, Pariyakshita. He was looking all around. He was trying, observing, trying to understand who was this person. And then uh, in the next verse, again, that he's, he's looking at Krishna, staring at Krishna, trying to understand who this person is. So then um, in the next verse, uh right down there. The uh, the Brahmins are now going to do the uh, the Jataka. The Jataka, Jata means born, and Jataka means the birth calculations, where the where where it's calculated. And this is very important because now uh, Yudhisthira is going to find out uh, what's going to happen to the whole dynasty, because there's no possibility of another legitimate son to inherit this dynasty. And so, if this child uh, is not qualified, basically, the, this whole Kuru dynasty is ruined. And so that's what's going on here. That is the pressure. And so they're going to give the calculation now. And it's not, it's not just um, the ordinary anxiety about having a, a son. Is this son going to be worthy? But this Kuru dynasty had been in danger for a long time. For example, uh, if you read the Mahabharata carefully, you'll find that uh, four generations before Krishna and the Pandavas, uh, the imperial power was actually shifted from Hastinapur. Hastinapur, for one generation, really lost that position of being the imperial authority, and the power was shifted to Chedi to King Vasu. King Vasu, interestingly, he's a very interesting character. I'm talking about a lot in my rendition of the Mahabharata, but he's actually born in the Yadu dynasty, I'm sorry, the Kuru dynasty, but he was not the heir to the throne because there are many different lines. The Kuru dynasty was a big dynasty and there were many lines coming down that did not inherit the central power at Hastinapur. But still, uh, Indra came down and made him made Vasu the emperor, and this is emphasized in the Mahabharata. He became Raja, Raja, king of kings. He became Samrat, the emperor. And so what was going on is because the Kuru king 
Pratipa had become a yogi because this is in the, in, just in the aftermath of Parashuram. There's, there's a whole history. This is the aftermath of Parashuram. The earth is like such a yuga and um, there's basically nothing to do for a king. There's no crime, no enemies. But what Pratipa doesn't know is that the earth has been invaded and there are actually asuras who are taking over the earth under his nose, so to speak. And, and to give an example, the imperial power shifted to Shady, but then the mightiest Asura, um, Viprachiti, who's actually the most powerful of all the Asuras that came to earth 5,000 years ago, he takes birth in this Shady dynasty to inherit it. So the Asuras, not simply by fighting, are actually going to inherit the earth, literally. And so that's why the, the power has to be shifted back to Hastinapur, to Pratipa's son, who's a very powerful warrior named Shantanu. So all these things are going on. And of course, uh, Yudhisthira, who's sitting or standing there watching all this, these calculations, he knows these things. He knows that Hastinap, the Hastinapur Kurus already lost their imperial authority four generations before that. And then, uh, three generations before, they almost lost it again. Because uh, Satyavati married Shantanu, Bhishma renounced the throne and could not have children. And then um, Satyavati's two sons with Shantanu, the two heirs of the Kuru dynasty, both died when they were very young. Chitrangada and Vichitravirya, another crisis. So again, the Kuru dynasty was thrown into this crisis. And of course, that's when Satyavati had no choice but to reveal to Bhishma that she had a previous son, Vyasadeva, who could come and beget by Dharma Kuru heirs, heirs of the Kuru throne. So then that's done. But the first son born is blind. And that's another crisis. Because so you can see what's going on. I mean, Yudhisthira had every reason to be very nervous about succession. So Dhritarashtra was born blind, then Pandu is born, and he actually is completely qualified, and Pandu will become a great th- king and fully restore the Kuru authority. Uh, but then, the next generation, Yudhisthira's own generation, Duryodhana, who is an Asura invader, Duryodhana again seizes the throne. So the Kurus are really struggling almost every generation to keep the dynasty going. And then Ashwatthama killed all the heirs of the Kuru throne, the five sleeping sons of Draupadi. And when it looked like it's over, I mean, the Kurus are actually destroyed. At that point, Uttara, it turns out Uttara is pregnant. And then Ashwatthama attacks the child in the womb. And it's even said in the Bhagavatam to make the world a Pandava, to, to, to rid the world of Pandavas. And so again, a threat to the dynasty. And that's when Krishna personally enters Uttara's womb and saves the heir to the Kuru throne. So with the birth of Parikshit, there's another threat. What if the child's a dud? You know, what if this child... It could be anything. It could be another Asura trying to invade the world. It could be an unqualified person. It could be a a child that in a past life was cursed to die young or something. It could be anything. And so that's why there, I mean, in a sense, the whole fate of the world is resting on these calculations that the Brahmins are going to do. So you have to put yourself back into that time to really understand what it felt like to be there. So um, so it's a very high stakes calculation. Everything. So uh, so Jatakam Kariyamasa. So they did this. They they actually uh, it said here Judah, Raja the king had the Jataka done by the Brahmins. Literally, that's what it says. And he had them chant all the auspicious um, mantras. But then in the next verse, um, 
he he gives all this um, charity. And I just, Hiranyan Gam, gold, cows, land, Mahin, Brahman, villages. To give a village didn't mean a Brahmin became the tyrant of a village or owned everybody in the village. It just meant he got the tax revenue. So that's the kind of gifts, that's the kind of gift that kings have always given, even in Europe, in East Asia. And that is every village, every town owes a certain amount of tax to the king. And that creates a central treasury which the king uses to provide protection to everyone. And in times of need, if there's a, a drought or economic problems, the king makes sure, makes sure that no one starves. So that's the need for a central treasury. So what a king can do at his discretion is, so to speak, give a village, which is mentioned here, that Eudister gave villages, meaning that the tax revenue from those villages, instead of coming to the central treasury, will go to a certain group of Brahmins which is like an endowment, which means for the rest of their lives, they don't have to worry about their financial needs. So that's what that means. And so husty elephants, horses, uh, the king, he gave all these boons. So this, by the way, was the central part of a Vedic economy. That was the social welfare system. That at great events, in this case, it's a jataka. It's the birth analysis for a future king. At great, at royal weddings, at great sacrifices, there would be all this charity, and that was the social welfare system. And the Brahmins knew this, and you find in the Mahabharata, the Brahmins would actually go to these events to get the charity, and that's, that was an important part of the economy. So then, we're getting up to 19 here, we're on the way. So, uh, I don't know if I made any notes. Let me see quickly on 15. Oh, yes. Asha Yasmin Prajatanto. So, Tamu Chur Brahmanastu So, the Brahmins were satisfied and they spoke to the king. So, the, uh, the first thing they say to the king, which is interesting, here the, here's the king, and, and the sages certainly know his anxiety. And so what's the, the first thing they tell him? First thing he says, this is a legitimate child. This child is indeed, has taken birth within the great Kuru dynasty. This is a legitimate child. There's nothing weird here in this birth. This is the Kuru heir. Prajatanto, literally in the thread or in the line of uh a progeny coming down, he indeed is a legitimate heir to the throne. That that has to be cleared up. I mean, everyone knew it, but still, it has to be said officially. So then, uh, the next point they say is uh, that the word rata, rato vo, that this child was given to you. Anugrahartaya, uh, Krishna to show mercy to the Pandavas and to the Kurus, Krishna gave you this child. Krishna gave you this child. It was given by Vishnu Napara Vishnu, by the all, all the literally the Almighty Vishnu has given you this child. So that's the first thing they say. Or that's actually the second thing. First thing is he's an official, legitimate heir to the throne. Second thing is that Lord Vishnu, Almighty Vishnu, personally gave you this child. And then, but then it's still like, okay, but who is the child? I mean, what? that's nice, legitimate heir given by Vishnu, but who is he? What are his qualities? So then they say, uh, actually, they say, Tasman, this is verse 17, Tasman Namna Vishnu Rata. He will be called Vishnu Rata, bestowed by Vishnu, because Vishnu gave him to you. You'll be known that way in the world. And then they say something very important. There's no doubt, exalted king. There's There's no doubt. He is a Maha Bhagavata Maha. He's a Maha Maha Bhagavata. In other words, he's a great, great devotee. It's a very interesting term. Maha Bhagavato Mahan. A Maha Maha Bhagavata. 
So, but in, even with all of this, you could still say he's a legitimate heir. He's a great, great devotee uh, and all that. But is he competent? Because as we know, Dhruva Maharaj in the fourth canto, his firstborn son, Antardana, uh, wasn't inclined to be a king. Because it's said, you know, kings have to be violent and they have to take taxes from the people. So that doesn't always make you super popular among the people, you know, taxing people. Try it. Go around everyone you and ask them for money and go around the next week and ask them for money and then see how many friends you have after several weeks. So it, it, it's funny because the two duties of kings, danda, one is called danda, the stick. That's a word for punishment. It's interesting. In Sanskrit, danda also means punishment, the stick. And kara, the hand, like tavukara, uh, because, because taxes. Taxes are called colloquially in Sanskrit, the hand. <laughs> and punishment is called the stick. And so it's in the Bhagavatam, kara danda. That, and so those two duties of a king, Dhruva's son didn't want to do. He didn't want to do the hand and the stick. And so um, so even though he's, in fact, because he's a Maha Maha Bhagavata, you could say, well, but does he really want to be violent, which you have to be if you're a king, and take money from everyone, tax everyone? Does he really want to do that? So that, that question still remains. And so in text 18... Uh, let's see. Um, let's see. I, I, um, oh, so in, so in text 18, the king's heard all this. Now he ha he's going to ask something because he's heard that, okay, the legitimate son of the Kurus, personally given by Vishnu, a incredibly advanced devotee, but Parikshi still has a question. That's all wonderful. But can he actually protect the world? Can he actually rule? So I guess we're not going to dance now. <laughs> so Yudhisthira says, Apiesha Bhangshan Raja Sheen, Punya Slokan Mahatman Anuvarti Tasu Jasya Sadhu Vadena Satama. That is he going to follow? Is he going to follow the um, his predecessors? And then in this verse, in this verse, now we came to this after a brief contextualization. I know you couldn't imagine it could go that fast. Oh, it's not there. So anyway, after doing all that, when Eudister says, but is he really going to follow his predecessors? What does he mean by that? And the Brahmins understand what he means, so they say that he will protect the the, the earth. Partha prajavita sakshad. He will be the people's protector. So Yudhisthira says, is he going to follow all of his predecessors? And the Brahmins answer, yes, he will protect the earth. So that's obviously what Yudhisthira meant. Is he actually going to do the job of protecting? Because he could be a great saintly Vaishnava, and legitimate, but what if he is just Brahminical, like Dhruva's son? And so therefore, can you go up to the verse? Anyway, avita means protector. Oh, okay. You'll just have to trust me. That's what it says. So, praja, oh, there we go. So that's a comp, it's praja avita, avita, the protector of the prajas. Uh, so he will be like Ikshwaku because Ikshwaku is famous as a powerful protector of the people. As being a, an extraordinary protector of the people, therefore he will be like Ikshwaku himself. Sakshad Ikshwakuri, Vamanava, who Ikshwaku, the son of Manu. And in terms of Satya Sanda, Santa, uh, that's an interesting word. Da means placing, and sa means together, putting together. So that's where we get the word sandhi in Sanskrit, how you phonetically put words together or how you put the parts of words together. 
And uh, from the same root, you also have uh, sandhya, like trisandhyam, uh, in, in the last Gurvastika verse, jayangs tuvangs tasya jashas trisandhyam. So sandhya means the juncture, putting things together. So it means you chant Gayatri at the three sandhyas, which means at dawn, that's when you chant Gayatri. It's not after Mangalarti, it's not at a certain time on the clock. It's when you look at the sky and it's not night and it's not day, that's dawn. In between night and day, that's a sandhya and you chant Gayatri. Or noon, when it's not morning, not afternoon, or uh, dusk, twilight, twilight zone. When, when you look at the sky and it's no longer day, but it's also night, it's not night yet, but it's not day, that's the sandhya. So anyway, there's many words that come from this. So here we have a form of the word sandha, same thing, placing things together. In other words, he his actions will be united with his words, his promises. Whatever he says, he will do. In, in fact, this word sanda, uh, one word we have in English, which means the same thing actually as sanda, is integrity. Integrity. That you integrate, you combine your words and your actions. So that's what this word means, sanda. So he will be, he will have integrity in the sense of key that, you know, keeping to the truth, whatever he says he will do. And also whatever is true, he will uphold. It also means that whatever is true, such as the Vedic injunctions, he will uphold, he will uphold truth. I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch the old Superman TV show and they would say that Superman fights for truth, justice and the Vedic way. The American way. <laughs> so Superman fought for truth and justice, and that, and of course, Preach, he's the real fighter for truth. So, and so in that integrity, in his integrity, in his maintaining the truth in his own life and, and in, the, in the kingdom, he will, yata, he will be like Rama Dasharati, Rama, the son of Dasharata. So, uh, all the boxes are checked here in terms of uh, Yudhisthira's concerns. He got a... So Krishna first placed this extraordinary child in the womb of Uttara. Of course, uh, uh, Abhimanyu was very dear to Krishna. He was, after all, he was the son, not only of Arjuna, but of Krishna's own sister. He was the only, he was the child, the son of Krishna's own sister. And Krishna, actually, there's a very special relationship between Krishna and um, Subhadra. So if you read in the scenes, for example, where Krishna's leaving Hasanapur and everyone's in anxiety, uh, Krishna gives special attention to Subhadra. It's mentioned that he says goodbye to everyone, takes his leave, there's embracing and so on, but then he gives, takes special leave uh, of his sister. And of course, her son was Abhimanyu. So, um, and this is Abhimanyu's son. This is Abhimanyu's son. And so for many reasons, for many reasons, Vishnu personally came into the womb of Uttara and saved this child. So, uh, any questions on these points? Yes, is there a microphone? Thank you, Maharaj, for this nice class. And, uh, I, look, I look like a rabbi, I just noticed yeah. with this thing. And, uh, God. All this, uh, <laughs> and all the introductions you gave, explaining all the reasons why Mr. Maharaj has been concerned. But still, and you just introduced that, that's all I wanted to ask is that in this case, this child being the the grand nephew of Krishna, from his own sister's grandson. Um, how much of a reason does Yudhisthira have to to question the you know the quality of this child? Yudhisthira, okay. First of all, uh, Yudhisthira is asking what he must ask because these are this is somewhat formulaic. In other words, a king had certain duties. 
And it was the duty of the king, you could say, to ask these questions, especially under the circumstances. Not only that, we know that um, it was a very strange time. For example, Kunti Devi, who's Krishna's aunt, and the mother of the Pandavas, at least the three elder Pandavas, had a child with Vivaswan, the sun god, who is who Krishna says in the Gita uh, really began the disciplic succession in the universe, at least at a particular stage. So Vivasan is the first recipient of Krishna's teachings. That's the father. The mother is the great Kunti. The result, Karna. Karna, whose best friend is an Asura and who fights for the Asuras. So these were very strange times. You have the great king Vasu, who's a great devotee. And his grandson is Jarasandha. Jarasandha by the, is, is the grandson. Jarasandha is the first cousin, first cousin of Vyasadeva. Because Vyasadeva's mother is uh, Satyavati, and Satyavati's brother is Brihadrata, whose son is Jarasandha, the, the worst of all the Asuras. So these are very strange times. These were very strange times. Yudhisthira saw so many of his own relatives fight against him. Including Shalya. In, 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 including Shalya. So, again, very strange times. And therefore, Yudhisthira was doing his duty. And also just, uh, you know, it was worth asking. Shesha, can you give the microphone there? Thank you, Shemali. Thank you. Um, in terms of the context you were speaking, because Pritchett Maharaj was cursed by the Brahman to die in seven days, did that premature to accomplishing everything? It's being described here, it would be accomplished, it needed to be accomplished. Right, right. Um, did you just hear, when he was cursed to die, was that before he accomplished everything? Well, first of all, Prabhupada always mentioned, I think the Bhagavatam mentions, that he had the power to counteract this curse, but he accepted it. So he's a pure devotee. And, and the sages have the same question you have, by the way. Of course, you're a sage. And that is... In the Bhagavatam, the sages ask, why did, did Parikshit choose to give up his body? So that sort of confirms that he could have stayed. The sages ask, they said that his body was, his body existed just for the welfare of the world. That's why he took that body. And so he was still young. Why did he give up that body? And thus his life. And so I think clearly Parikshit is not acting selfishly. He's not acting foolishly. He understood that this is the plan. So as we know, by the time Parikshit gives up his body, he's already uh, dealt with Kali. He's already protected Dharma. He's already gone around the world and reestablished the proper world order. So he kind of did what he could do. And it's like if someone comes to your home and fixes your computer, once it's fixed, the person doesn't just necessarily stay for dinner. And so, um, yeah, the world was fixed. And now it would depend on his son, Janame Jaya. Uh, yes. Microphone. Oh, I'm sorry, I guess. I'm not choosing to be. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm just joking. Go ahead. Thank you so much, Such a clear class. When you were describing what a strange time it was with the demons and the devotees being my first cousins, it occurred to me that this, these times are even stranger because we have the demon and the devotee 
Uh, yeah, we've always heard that. It's it's a it's one of those phrases we all learn. Uh, I don't know. Devotees I know do not exhibit a lot of demonic qualities. Of course, maybe you know who knows what they do when they go home at night. But um, I don't think any of my disciples do any like black magic or voodoo or kill anyone. So, as far as as far as saying Kali Yuga, the demon and the devotee are in the same. Um, it's a very nice, attractive little analysis, but, um, it's, it better reminds me of another thing that, that we all often hear that in Kali Yuga, everyone's a Sudra, which of course is not, it's true, but it's not true. So maybe I'll start with that one. What we find that in Kali Yuga and then go to your, in Kali Yuga, we find that in fact, everyone is not born with Sudra propensities. They may be materialistic or foolish, that they certainly are, like the atheistic scientists. But uh, some people in Kali Yuga are born with very intellectual propensities. Some people are born with religious propensities. Some people are born with the propensity to rule, to govern. Some people love to do business. So Krishna describes these four varnas as propensities. So to say that everyone in this age has a propensity to do manual labor or just to be an artisan is obviously not true. If by sudra we mean that everyone, uh, that, that even if someone is an intellectual or if someone is uh, by nature a ruler or, you know, vaisha, whatever, if they, if they don't follow certain principles, then they're like sudras because by their lack of morality or something. That, that's kind of a different thing. And so um, the actual Sanskrit that's being translated that in Kali Yuga everyone's a sudra is Kalo Sudra Sambhava, which really means in Sanskrit not everyone is a sudra, but that the sudras tend to predominate. Like you have democracy, which is basically government of the sudras, by the sudras, and for the sudras which means that the smarter people rob them blind and make them love it, you know, make them. So, so Sudra Sambhava, the word Sambhava in Sanskrit means for like predominance of, prominence of something which arises strongly. Not that it, it doesn't mean in Sanskrit that everyone is Sudra. Then getting to your point, as far as like, do we have devotees and demons inside of us? I don't know. I mean, I mean, you have to judge for yourself whether you have a, a strong propensity. Whether, I mean, you can judge for yourself whether you have a strong propensity to hate God or to, uh, to do horrible things. I mean, Krishna describes the asuras in chapter 16 of the Gita. They're atheists, they're cruel, they um, they plan things to destroy the world. So I don't know if every devotee in this age has their inner demon that wants to destroy the world as an atheist. I mean, clearly we've taken so many lifetimes and so sometimes you may become a little frustrated in your spiritual life or wonder why is Krishna doing this or even have some doubt, you know, is, is this all real? I think that's somewhat natural, but I, I, I wouldn't say that the occasional doubt or the occasional sort of frustration in the process is exactly the same as being an asura. Thank you, Mark, for your comments. Um, you very nicely described initially about much friction how uh, he, uh, when he saw Krishna in the womb, mm -hmm. and how he was searching for Krishna. My question is, is, um, is that way Maharaj Pariksit's love for Krishna, that, that was the real seed that he was so much uh, inclined towards Krishna and then wanted to hear a kind of 
Well, I think that Parikshit is such a special soul. First of all, to be the the grandson of uh, of Arjuna, the son of Abhimanyu and Subhadra, is already a a, a a super. No, I'm sorry. To be the um, yeah, the grandson. That's right, grandson of Arjuna and the son of um, no, the grandson of uh, Subhadra and Arjuna. The grandson of Subhadra, to be the grandson of Krishna's sister and Arjuna, to be the son of Abhimanyu and Utra, is already like a super exalted birth. To inherit the Kuru dynasty, to um, to have Krishna personally come and save you. So I think we could hardly say, yeah, it's just some guy that happened to take that birth, but because Krishna came in, he became a great devotee. I mean, clearly Krishna came because he was a great devotee, and but Krishna's coming there just increased his devotion. There's one. There's one question I'll do very quickly here in the chat. What use an elephant? Oh, what use is an elephant to a brahmana? Because it said that <laughs> Krishna. <laughs> I mean, Yudhisthira uh, gave elephants to the brahmans. Surely a burdensome donation rather than a beneficial gift. <laughs> We read that uh, maid servants were given away in charity. Also, was this, uh, does this not suggest type of slavery? So someone's really going for it here. First of all, uh, as far as giving an elephant to a Brahma, no, it's not a uh, the wrong gift because elephants were negotiable instruments and elephants could be rented and sold. So giving an elephant is giving something of great value that the Brahmin could then use to maintain himself and his wife for a long time. So great gift. But he wants to give me, I guess, like a very large new motor vehicle. <laughs> it's like Kali Yuga elephant. Then uh, I'll have one of my disciples sell or rent it. So uh, what about uh, giving away maidservants? Is that not slavery? No, it's not slavery. What I compare it to, first of all, people had a sense of duty. If people have a sense of duty, everyone did. Everyone did, from the king uh, or the queen down to everyone. Everyone understood that we are born to serve. This thing, like I'm born to be free and use my freedom for exalted purposes, like, you know, getting drunk and cursing and, you know, and, and doing all kinds of stupid things. Uh, and, you know, eating myself to death. It's, it, you know, there's freedom from and freedom to. So there's one thing of being free from certain types of suffering, and there's freedom to do things. Unfortunately, in our culture, it's all about freedom from and freedom to. It's mostly just freedom to have a sort of a meaningless, stupid life for a lot of people. So in terms of freedom from... People in this culture did not consider having a someone you could serve, someone you could believe in. They didn't consider that slavery. It's just like, for example, uh, let's say one corporation buys another corporation. The people in the acquired corporation, their main concern is not that now we have to work for this new boss, their real worry is that we may lose our job. And they're actually very happy if they get to keep their job. Is that slavery? No. If you have a good people in general in this world who have good situations, good employment, want to keep it. And that's what it was to serve great souls like this. So we don't find that, uh, yeah, if they, if they didn't want to go, they'd be tortured and killed or something. So no, it's not slavery. It's just... It's a social system which people share a common culture. They believe in the same values and they take care of each other. You know, high and low, they take care of each other. That's the culture we're talking about. It's just like, I mean, to me, it's like saying, what if you, let's say your brother or sister gets married and now you have a whole new family that's related to you. That's not slavery. It's just... So I, I think we have to avoid looking at it from our point of view. Uh, okay. 
So I answered that. So I guess that's it. Are there any other questions here? Adi Karta. Do you have any idea who Freak Sheet was in his previous life? Freak Sheet in his previous life? Absolutely no idea. Because it's not in Shastra and uh, I, yeah, I have no idea. What's that? I have no idea who Freak Sheet was in his last life. Go ahead. Life is short. (laughs) One part was about our need to introspect so we look for traces of either wrong mentality. Right, right. And the other part was about if we meet someone who's presently acting in a very wrong way, not to disallow the possibility that they could also become Krishna. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I'll just mention also that even Dwapar Yuga, we find sometimes people who are followers of Krishna did heavy things, like in the case of the um, uh, the killing of Satrajit, the Samantaka jewel. What did he say? Shimantaka. Anyway, the Siamantaka sounds like... Anyway, no jokes. The Siamantaka jewel... Uh, so some people who were devoted to Krishna murdered someone to get a jewel. That's kind of demonic. And so, and if you look at the history in Mahabharata and Bhagavatam, you see that sometimes people who were otherwise good people uh, sometimes did bad things. So again, it's a nice little scheme. Like in Satya Yuga, it was this, and different planets, and Trachy, and so on. But you know, it's a clever little analysis, but um, I'm just not completely convinced that in this age, you know, all the Vaishnavas are have little demons inside. I mean, we all have, we've had many, many lives. And so all of us, if we dig deep enough, we'll find something that we probably want to put back where we found it. <laughs> but... Um, but in terms of your active daily consciousness and awareness, I don't think that most devotees are struggling with a demon or somehow sort of morally schizophrenic or something. So that's it. You're probably all anxious to go have breakfast. So thank you very much. Hare Krishna. And thank, thanks to everybody watching on social media. <laughs>